This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. It's 5.07. You are listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Sharmila. First up today, uh, we're looking at uh, what the Ministry of Agriculture and Food Security is going to focus on, um, namely four dimensions of food security as defined by the Food and Agriculture Organisation. We'd like to hear from you. Um, Essentially, is food security something you think about? Are you concerned with it? That number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp zero one eight seven eight nine double eight double nine. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Joining us now to talk about this because we're certainly not experts is Professor Datin Paduka, Dr. Fatima Mohammad Arshad, Research Fellow with Institute of Agriculture and Food Policy Studies at UPM. Prof, good to have you with us. So, as mentioned, four dimensions of food security is what the Ministry have said they're focusing on. How do these apply to the Malaysian context? FAO defined food security from the perspective of four major pillars, and they are availability, which is basically local production, and of course the stock, and of course import. Yeah, So those three variables constitute availability of food in the country. The other one is accessibility, is basically the purchasing power or the ability of the population to buy food meaning uh, whether their income is adequate to buy necessary food for their everyday living. Number three is uh, nutrition, how well the population are eating and whether the food has good nutrition value for health. Right. The last one is stability, and this is a bigger perspective. It means stability in all dimensions, Yeah, meaning uh, stability in terms of the political situation, stability in terms of the society, social uh, social integration, all that. And most important of all is the natural resource management. How we manage our land, our labour, as well as our natural resource, which includes biodiversity, the fisheries in, in the sea, right? As well as other input. How we manipulate or how we utilize the resources will determine GDP and of course income per capita. Once we produce the food or whatever commodity will determine our consumption behavior and therefore the health of the country or the population. So basically all these four factors are interactive or meaning they are interrelated, they are not independent and very much uh, interconnected with each other. So that is why in 2021 when United Nations and FAO, FAO organized their Food System Summit after one year of COVID. FAO has concluded that from now on, the world must look at food, not only in terms of silo approach, meaning you look at production and then you look at distribution and you look at retailing or consumption in a separate lens, but they should be taken into account as a system a system that comprises many subsystems, such as input, such as uh, environmental, such as natural resources, yeah, land, labor, as well as supply chain, as well as import, as well as retailing, population, consumption, technology, and climate change, what have you. I know it's, it's difficult, but we must look the food industry from a systems perspective, meaning looking at the interconnectedness of this uh, elements in the food system, how they are connected to each other, and which feedback loops are the most 
a prominent one because that loop will determine the performance of the system. So how will this holistic view of food security as one big interconnected system either um, enhance or shift the implementation of our existing food security policies? Once you adopt the perspective of food systems, looking at the industry as a big system comprises of various subsectors or subsystem. And each subsystem is very important. If you take, for example, climate change, the moment climate change occurs, such as a heavy rain, it affected our food production, our rice production. Therefore, we have to import. Therefore, our farmers were suffered. They didn't have enough income. When they, they didn't have enough income, it will affect the next season production, right? You can see from climate change, it affects import, it affects consumption, it affects the welfare of people, it affects the government, you know, when the government couldn't, couldn't handle it, then uh, people become restless and they want to change and so on. Whereas it was, uh, it was driven by one factor, which is climate change that can, you know, bring waves to the whole food system. It's not only climate change, but also various types of shocks, geopolitical shocks, the war, political change that could change uh, our direction. You know, you have to take those factors into account. But translating it into policy can be challenging as well. But at least we are aware of the uh, interrelatedness of these factors. So one way of uh, addressing this is to have one ministry for agriculture. Because oil palm or rubber or cocoa or, or rice, they all share the same resources. They all share the same sky, the same pool of labor, the same pool of the government fund, the same pool of uh, technology probably, and even R&D, right? So at the moment, they are divided. So everybody or each ministry is concerned about their commodities, whereas when you look at one commodity, whatever happens to that commodity will affect food, for example. Let me give you an example. The moment that we decided to invest on industrial products like oil palm, rubber, and so on, we have along the way for, I think, for the past 50 years, we have marginalized the comparative advantage that we have in food, right? We have land, we have rain, we have sunshine, we have biodiversity. I remember in 1980s, I think uh, food area accounted about 20%. Now it has reduced to about 10 to 11%. And 85% of our land is devoted to industrial crop. Of course, it has some multiplier effect. It brings jobs and so on, but it doesn't bring enough food. The food that our children need, particularly among the poor. So what it means is that our crop mix, which is lopsided to industrial crop and rubber, is not crisis-proof. So we still need food to feed our people, to help farmers to earn good income. We still need food for good nutrition for our future generation, which will be our human capital of the future. So we are two years away from the completion of the National Food Security Policy Action Plan 2021 to 2025. How has our progress been? I would say our progress is considered linear, you know, I mean, it's not exponential. It's like, you know, extending the so-called business as usual progress. We did not regress, but we progressed, but at a very slow rate, right? For example, it is sad to see that the yield for paddy has declined from average 4.5 per metric ton. Three years back, now it has reduced to 36 Metric ton. Of course, this is averages, but what it shows 
it is pretty worrying, meaning uh, certain parts of the production are declining. It is probable that the climate factor is playing an important role here because of the rapid change in climate factors in the last two, three years, as well as uh, PKP, as well as pandemic. And this has caused increasing cost of production and also problem with labour. So when the yield has not improved that much, but cost has increased tremendously, for example, fertiliser has increased by 200% yield, and that has affected their their productivity, as well as, as I mentioned earlier, the climatic factors plays an important role here. Now, you've highlighted some issues in managing food security, uh, climate change, geopolitics, inflation, as well as the after effects of the pandemic. How should we be thinking about managing these issues? I think the pandemic has kind of uh, shown us that our food security was you know, very vulnerable to shocks. And we couldn't manage our food security well because we did not have enough food. We didn't have plenty of food for our population, correct? So if this situation or this crisis happened again, if we continue things as usual, we'll not be able to weather through. And then the old strategy of if we don't have enough food, we can always rely on trade. That also has proven uh, unreliable. We cannot depend on other countries. During crisis, all countries, they take the position of, you know, uh, everyone is for themselves. Every country is for themselves. We saw what India did. They restricted the export of rice. And then uh, I heard about they are going also to uh, restrict sugar. So sugar price will increase and rice, uh, price of rice have already increased. All right. So so the uh, policy of uh, just-in-time delivery or waiting for uh, import to cover deficit in domestic market is no longer applicable. What matters now is just-in-case situation or just-in-case strategy, meaning we must be prepared at all time okay, or at all events that uh, there is enough food for our, our country, meaning... Uh, we must have that self-reliant policy. Whatever happened, whatever happened to the market, domestic as international, we are we are prepared or we have enough food for our people. So we need more food, more than what we have at the moment, be it self-sufficient or whatever, but it must be enough for our pop our people may not be uh, covering all the uh, food products, but we can identify our basic food such as rice or poultry or meat or milk for our children and certain selected vegetables or certain selected fruits. We focus on that to make sure that these uh, commodities are available to our population. We're speaking today with Professor Datin Paduka, Dr. Fatima Mohammad Arshad, about the question of food security and agriculture. Let us know what you think. You can call, send us a voice note or WhatsApp or tweet us. We'll be right back. Keep it here on the Evening Edition, BFM 89.9. Break from monotony, BFM 89.9. It is 5.19 and you're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Sharmila. We're talking today about food security and agriculture with Professor Datin Paduka, Dr. Fatima Mohammed Arshad. So, Prof, um, you mentioned earlier, you know, if business as usual is really no longer an option, then what are some areas or approaches that you'd like to see as potential ways to be more self-reliant in the commodities that you mentioned earlier? I think from now on, we have 
to kind of transform our paradigm or our perspective on food. It is the time for all the country, everyone from the government to the private sector and to the people to focus on food. And in order to to kind of, uh, you know, to steer the, everybody's mind towards food security, we can come up with a new paradigm that is, you know, Malaysia must focus on food first policy. Food is everything. Food is basic human right, one. And number two, food is the input to produce good human capital in the future. So once we feel that food is important, so we must mobilize whatever we have to increase our food production. And I think it is not difficult, as proven by countries like Thailand or even Israel, right? Or even Vietnam or even China. China is so big, we thought that they, they may not be able to handle all the problems, but they did, right? They could. So the same thing with Vietnam, right? So it's about having a, a full commitment towards food. And I think with the recent development in ICT or advanced technology or biotech, we can mobilize our sector by employing this technology to help production. You know, I believe uh, in the use of, say, for example, drones or AIs to come up with all sorts of apps to monitor soil, to monitor the applications of fertilizer or herbicides, to monitor the weather, to estimate the supply, to prepare platform for marketing or distribution, to open up the market for farmers, uh, for example, in the case of paddy, so that uh, they can also distribute fertilizer a bit. They can also sell their rice a bit to bring small machine and small mills to small farmers so that they have the alternative or options to sell their rice or their product to the market. At the moment, it's all controlled from the point of input until uh, import, as a result, the farmers are stuck in the middle with no option to expand their uh, farming. Yeah, In other words, their mobility, uh, what do you call it, uh, vertical mobility or horizontal mobility are uh, constrained. So uh, with technology and climate-smart agriculture, I think we can, we can revive our industry. Let's mobilize technology Let's mobilize the scientists, the researchers, the fabric sectors, and don't forget the youngs. The youngs can come in with all sorts of apps, you know, from IoT to uh, blockchain to e-business to various apps and so on. I think if you are smart enough to do this, I think our agriculture will, will excel very, very far. Not only that, if we take this advantage of or this uh, striking the iron way to sort, we can be the leader in, in this region if we want to. Now, the ministry has outlined five directions uh, to create long-term food sustainability. We touched on them a little bit earlier. So these areas include a focus on aquaculture, cattle farming, as well as on grain corn. Why these specific commodities? I guess we have to resort to aquaculture because we have exhausted our fish in Salat Malacca, which is a very uh, sad story. It, is, it should not happen. So we have to be careful with our exploitation of the South China Sea. It's a good move to go into aquaculture. I think Bangladesh has gone into it and they did it successfully. The same thing with uh, Thailand. I think the main issue with aquaculture is the environmental impact because so much feed into the water and it wasn't done properly. But I think this is a technical issue. I think with good research, we can we can address that. With regards to corn, it's also a good move. The problem with Malaysia is compared to 
Indonesia and Thailand. They have successfully developed their own corn industry because they had a very good research program with regards to corn. I don't think we have enough scientists that have done research in corn. So in the case of Thailand, yeah, they they I don't remember how much uh, uh, the yield, but it's one of the highest in ASEAN countries. And they were able to produce corn for their livestock industry or whatever. And not only that, they were able to export. So meaning they have established their competitive advantage with regards to the sector through R&D. So we can take cues. Maybe we have to help the producers. And what I notice is that uh, we, we, we depends on seeds from overseas, from import, and that we have to pay. And if we do it in small scale, we will not get profits. So it has to be done in a large scale, yeah, because of economies of scales to speak. But I think for the future, we have to look for other sources of uh, input or feedstuff to feed our livestock. And that requires lots of RNG to find alternatives. The, the one is what? Cattle farming. Yes, our self-sufficiency for meat is still very low. The sad truth is that compared to other countries, I think the production curve for cattle meat in Malaysia has remained more or less constant. That implies many things. R&D is lacking. We did not produce our local feedstuff for the industry. And of course, we did not produce our own breeds. We have to import. It, it, it takes years, you know, to, to, to breed a, a good, good cattle. And also, maybe policies are not enough to kind of inject much more incentive or drivers that, that push the industry. So combination of these factors have led to a slow growth in our cattle. And in the case of Thailand, they receive uh, support in close collaboration with the scientists from Holland. We did not have enough uh, collaboration with those countries. But the truth is our agriculture sector is quite insular. Right? Insular in the sense that we did not collaborate with scientists from overseas to learn from the technologies or to share their findings and, and whatever. We are still at the early stage of developing that sector after all these years. So that's very sad. But I think that the potential is there because demand is there and our population needs good diet because meat does provide good protein there. So we need meat for our children. Therefore, we need to have a collaboration with scientists overseas or get them to come here and work together either breeding or, you know, providing other inputs and so on. So you mentioned young people earlier, and the minister did emphasise the need for youth involvement, uh, including the strengthening of agriculture training institutes. What are some of the potential policies that could encourage youth participation and interest? Yeah, youth participation is important because they hold the future, right? But the problem with our youth is that they have the wrong impression of, uh, of, of this agriculture and food, but they forgot that when they go to Starbucks, when they drink coffee, they have to pay 20 ringgit, right? 20 plus ringgit just to have a cup of coffee. But they forgot that we have coffee plants, sorry, coffee trees in our country, but we have forgotten it. We just uh, didn't care to develop our coffee. The same thing when our youth, uh, you know, they drink chocolate, they buy chocolates for their girlfriend, but they forgot on their backyard, there are beautiful cocoa trees. There are so many types of uh, cocoa materials that we have in this country. And now cocoa is almost uh, lost in the horizon. So we have lost cocoa, we have lost coffee. And then the other one is coconut. Coconut has so much advantages in terms of uh, minerals and so on. But we would rather import from Thailand or from Indonesia when we could have come up or produce our own. 
So these are the big missed opportunities uh, of Malaysia. Number two, the interpretation of the scoping of agriculture is more than just oil palm, rubber, cocoa, and so on. But it covers also food and beverages as well as processed food. So it's, it's very wide, right? Chocolate products are part of food. So the scope is big. We need to redefine the scoping of agriculture or the meaning of agriculture to our youth. And I think some, some of them have ventured into this area because they know the potential. And one thing about food, the demand is forever increasing. Because population has increased, lifestyle has changed, income per capita has increased. So the demand is for sure on the rise. Except that on the production side, of course, there are lots of risks. This is where the youth can come in. They can come in by improving the efficiency, the speed of communication, improving the, the risk by developing many apps, right? Using drones to distribute fertilizer, using drones for to monitor the weather, right? To use IoT to ensure that the system is efficient, everything is taken care into account. Uh, I mean, you can do analytics, analytics of efficiency, analytics of cost and return. And if you like, uh, we can use a blockchain to avoid manipulation, right? And most of all, business platform, B2B or B2C or whatever. So the, the industry have lots of problems, meaning the industry have lots of room for improvement, lots of areas where technology can come in and change it around so that it becomes much more thriving and dynamic. So it's better that these kids do it now because if we give it to Grab, I'm sure Grab can do it. If we give it to Grab, Grab will grab it first, you know what I mean? So we have to start it. So lots of rooms, a lot of opportunities for the youth to come in, to come up with their own ideas or innovative applications to be used on the farm. Prof, thank you so much for speaking with us. That was Professor Datin Paduka, Dr. Fatima Mohamed Arshad, Research Fellow with Institute of Agriculture and Food Policy Studies at UPM. If you'd like to weigh in, um, is food security something you're concerned about? You can call us, send us a voice note or WhatsApp, or tweet us at BFM Radio. Bluff Free Medium, BFM 89.9. It is 5.38 and you're listening to the Evening Edition with Lynn and Sharmila. We started off our show today by talking about the issue of food security and specifically what the Ministry of Agri Agriculture and Food Security is planning to do, what they're going to focus on. And we were asking you for your thoughts, whether um, this is something that you are concerned about. You can call 7733-2900, send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. We have lots of thoughts. So Carl says, after education, health and water, the next great importance for the country should be food security. Food can be a weapon like wheat in Russia or rice in India to be used against us if we depend on imports. We should focus more on our food supply sustainability. Our land and weather are perfect for agriculture. Yeah, Carl, I think that um, the, the mention of Russia is really timely because this is actually something that uh, for people who maybe weren't paying such close attention to the issue of food security before, the realisation that something like this could disrupt so many things around the world just by virtue of one country or two countries being in conflict um, really helped people understand exactly how, how tenuous and how vulnerable we all are to these things. And how interconnected we are, right? And and essentially, there is a balance to be reached between self-sustaining and also 
working together with people in the region, um, which is something that our guest earlier mentioned as well. So Robert says, great, we've been talking about food security for decades, even at uh, governmental and national security levels. It's time to take direct steps. No more talk. How about encouraging community farming as well? Every little bit helps. Uh, R&D, yes. High tech. Uh, apps not necessarily yet, the mindset is more important. We have to move away from industrial corporations and industrialization. make agro sexy. <laughs> well, you know, the ministry does want to do exactly that, I think, because they're trying to make agriculture attractive to young people as a potential career. Um, I agree. I think that while it may seem like something like community farming might not go too long away in terms of a huge issue like food security, I think what it does do is create a mindset shift. Yes, it does. Um, And that is exactly what Robert's talking about, right? This issue of mindset and how exactly we think about our food. John, meanwhile, says... Very thought-provoking and timely to draw attention to consuming local produce, uh, coconut, coffee. It's wise to follow the good professor's advice. Uh, It both enhances the local economy and also offers value for money. Yeah, I think the point about coffee was actually really well made. Um, and, And I think there's so many other local produce as well, which we could be doing better with in terms of making a shift or learning how to incorporate them into our daily consumption. Yeah, because it's not so much, so that's that's on us, right? And what it is that we want. But the other way of thinking about it, of course, is what exactly industries are doing, whether or not there's enough downstreaming of product, right? Or whether you think of, well, coffee is just that, it's just coffee. Mm. Um, or whether there is an approach that looks into the various ways in which you could be using that um, for food as as well as for, I don't know, spa products. You know, there are a variety of ways in which we could be thinking and talking about it. We do uh, have an anonymous listener who says, I've been hankering for the revival of the Buku Hijau, but sadly, most of our politicians are too busy fighting for power, wasting resources and time bringing each other down. Time and tide waits for no man. We'll have to. We'll have a lot of concrete and microchips, but insufficient food, which even with money, one may not be able to buy easily. I think the state elections should see people vote for politicians who are agriculture who have agriculture development instead. So many points. Uh smashed into that message, I think, because the mention of the buku hijau is great and timely. Uh, It's something that comes up every single time we talk about agriculture and how it is that we plan. But the other thing, um, the mention of politicians, I think that this is a wider point, right? Because this, uh, you could make this argument about any number of issues that our politicians don't seem to talk about. So yes, agriculture. Um, You also hear people say, well, where's the conversation happening on transportation? Where's the conversation happening on, um, you know, the on climate change, for example. Mm. And these, I think more, they're not actually distant. They're just distant seeming or distant feeling issues don't necessarily get brought up in manifestos or in fact, in campaign promises. Yeah, they're not sexy enough, like Robert said earlier. Which we can change. I think we can change. Yes, See, I think so too. Anon wants it. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I hardly think they're alone. Let us know. Um, is food security something you're concerned about? That number to call is double seven double three two nine hundred. Send us a voice note or WhatsApp 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio. Keep it here on the Evening Edition, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.